But we're going to be doing Ephesians 4, so yay, we're past the halfway point of Ephesians. I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message that I, I know for me, I just feel consistently challenged and called up, and I'm loving what God is doing in my own life through this series, and every time we preach a message, whoever is preaching here, we include ourselves in what we're preaching, and it's just been a really cool um, process for me, so I'm trusting and hoping that's been the case for you. I feel like the Lord gave me uh, an, an agenda for the morning, and so it's not going to be the way we've been kind of teaching through this book so far, um, but it, I hope it's going to be helpful. All right, I'm going to pray because I feel a little scatterbrained, so... Lord, we thank you for this word that you're doing in our hearts. God, we ask that you prepare our hearts to hear it. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read Ephesians 4. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. It says TPT if you're using the U version and you want to um, scroll and find it. And so we're going to read the first five verses. And he says, as, this is Paul. Now remember, a little side note. We just finished talking about that big Ephesians 3.20 verse. How do you get that big beyond what you can ever ask for or imagine in your everyday life? If you didn't hear that message, you can catch it on our podcast, the Bethel OKC podcast. But this is the next phrase after that. So he's giving you this whole strategy about how to see God do amazing things in your life. And the next thing he writes, which should be important for us, is this. As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank given to you in your divine calling. So he's saying, here's what's available to you, and I'm imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of that. This is a really profound verse here. Remember, the first two chapters of Ephesians is all about your identity. It's about how you are positioned in Christ, that you are now with him, that you are like in the same location where all the power of God, all the riches of heaven are all locked up. Remember, we've talked about that. We've talked about how God wants us to participate with him in owning our calling and understanding who we are and all of that. And now Paul is saying, now it's up to you to walk in a manner worthy of the fact that you are a child of God. I don't know about you, but that's convicting to me, at least a little bit. And I had, a, we, we've been talking with this business, um, Grant and I are looking at um, hiring a company for something which is irrelevant, but we were thinking we would use one company and he recently found another company. And so he did an interview with them. And at the end of the interview, Grant said, well, we were looking at this other company to use and he said, can you tell me what's different about you than them? And this answer blew me away. I've been thinking about this straight for like four days. And the guy, had, he said, well, actually I worked with that company. And he said, the reason why I moved over was because that company is great. They're really great people. He said, they're amazing strategists. He said, but what I discovered with this company is that we can implement and execute the strategies. And I've been thinking about that. Like, it's not just enough to know what to do. You gotta be able to actually do it, right? And that's what we've been talking about when I've been sharing with you what does it mean to have a successful faith? It's not enough to just know that we're called. We gotta be able to actually walk that out. We gotta be able to somehow in our everyday life respond to what that means. And I was like, Lord, if you do one thing at Bethel, make it that, make us really great implementers and executioners of our calling, right? Not of people. <laughs> I'm glad none of you went there. Maybe a few of you who are like me jumped to that. But, but we want to be great at that. We want to be able to walk in a way that is, that's holy. And this is what he's saying that's suitable to your high rank. See, here's the reality here. You have been called by God. I know you maybe didn't want to be called to a higher rank, but you are. And so the fact that you are requires something. 
This identity mandates a move in your life. It's like this, when we have a role model, you know, if you guys remember several years ago, some of the basketball players that would like kind of fall from grace, some of the NBA players, and people would go, well, you can't do that because you're a role model. Kids look up to you. See, we can do that with politicians, we can do that with, with CEOs, we can do that with pastors, and we can say, well, I'm holding you to a higher standard because your title means that you're supposed to be better. I'm supposed to be able to look up to you, to trust you. And when somebody in that position falls or falls short of walking in a manner worthy of that calling, it's weird, right? We look at that and we say, something's wrong about that. But that should be the same for all of us in Jesus, right? It should be. It should be that when we look at Christians, we say, wow, the fact that you are a child of God mandates something in your life. And now I'm sitting here looking going, well, how can I walk a little bit stronger? One of the last prophetic word we got in our pre-service prayer that I didn't share yet was the picture of the evolutionary chart. And now, you know, I am all about that we were not evolved from monkeys. I just think that's the biggest load of something. But, um, I, I, but I love that picture. And what she said was, I feel like the Lord is saying, as, it's like as you grow in Jesus, you, you know the hunched picture? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's seen it in the school books and you like a little bit, you get a little bit stronger and back and then you stand up and you're like a human, right? It's not the way we were created, people, okay? But it's a great picture of how we are when we walk with Jesus. That in our brokenness, every year after year, we should go from glory to glory. We should get a little bit stronger. We should get a little bit straighter. Our, our, our ability to walk in the manner worthy of our calling should get easier and more effective. So this isn't a message to say, oh my gosh, why aren't you doing this? This is a message to say, where are you and how can you stand up a little bit stronger? I know for a fact some of you guys are gonna be convicted. I'm super convicted about what I'm about to say, but that's, it's good for us, right? We're not accepting condemnation, but we are accepting conviction. So here's verse two. What does that manner of calling look like? What does that manner of walking look like? Paul says, with tender humility and quiet patience. Ah, okay. So what is humility? This is a very mis misunderstood topic in the body of Christ. Some people feel like humility is consistently feeling bad about yourself. That's not humility. True humility is knowing who you are, which is the fact that you came from God and all the great stuff in your life came from him. So you really have nothing to be prideful about. For a couple years when I was in college, I would ask the Lord, what's the biggest issue I need to work on? Who asked that question? I don't know. But that's what I would do. I would spend time with the Lord and I would say, all right, God, what do I need to work on? And for two years, almost every day, do you know what he told me? Pride. Oh, Lord. After a week, I was like, really, God? You know, is that really you? But here's what I missed. What he was trying to say was, you're still trying to earn my affection and I've already freely given it to you. You're still trying to prove your worth by doing all this stuff, and it's already there. So the pride comes when I think I can convince God to love me by something that I do, yeah. right? That's pride. Pride is not necessarily thinking highly of yourself, because when you're thinking highly of yourself, you're either operating godly confidence, which we should do, and that's good, or you're faking it because you feel really insecure in your heart. Right? So true humility is saying, I'm a child of God. I am chosen by him. I have a calling. I have a purpose, and I'm going to walk in that calling. That's actually humility. That's what Paul's inviting us into. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, and quiet patience. So I love this quote. It's, I read this on Facebook this week, and he said, um, patience, if God is teaching you patience, he's not going to hurry up. Right? He's not going to hurry up. I love Graham Cook always says, there's never going to be a conference on patience. Nobody's going to pay money to go learn how to teach patience. We don't want it. But here's the thing. When God is teaching you patience, it's going to take a while. 
That's just how it is. But having patience is important. Why? Because we need to learn how to wait, kind of, but really it's about trust, right? So here's what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. First, it starts with knowing who you are, and then the second thing he mentions is trust. Being willing to say, I know it's coming. I know my breakthrough is coming. I know my healing is coming. I know my promotion is coming. Whatever it is that we're asking God for that he's promised, it's trusting him in that in-between. And then he goes further and he says, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another. And I love how the Passion Translation adds in, especially toward those who might try your patience. Okay, I get it, God. So I'm supposed to look like Jesus. Okay, you need to help me, Holy Spirit, because that sounds really hard. Then he goes on and he says, be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. I know some of you guys in this room are really sensitive to spiritual things. You can walk into an atmosphere and you just know something ain't right here, right? I think I've, I feel so bad for Grant because he loves to eat at random restaurants and it, we can pull into the parking lot and I'm like, get on. I'm not getting out of the car. There's something going on here and I cannot eat here, right? I just am a very sensitive person to the spirit realm. I always have it. I know some of you guys get what I'm saying. And there's something about that is how the Holy Spirit is. He is sensitive. He's not fragile because he's God, but he's sensitive, right? He doesn't like certain types of jokes. We're going to get to that in a minute. He doesn't like certain types of shows. He, he has an opinion. He's the same as if you've ever been around somebody who's sensitive and they can't tell you exactly, but they know. They know in their knower that something is wrong right? That's how the Holy Spirit is. Sometimes you get into, a, well, God, the Holy Spirit is God, so he knows, okay? But for us, that's how we feel it sometimes, where he'll give you a little nudge. There's a little hesitation. There's a little, like, pulling. And if we don't lean into that, that nudge is going to go away. You can say, well, how can a person who's been pursuing Jesus all their life fall off into sin and go, I'm not even a Christian anymore? How does that happen? It's because at some point in their process, they started saying no to that nudge of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will eventually lift that conviction from you. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't want that to happen, right? I want to be on the journey with Jesus all the days of my life. But what does that require? It requires me to do this, to be faithful to guard that sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you. And then he says, in the bonds of peace. Did you know you can be bound to things? This is what I feel like the Lord wanted us to camp on for this morning, and it's this. It's the power of our agreement. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to the Lord, and he just dropped this in my heart. He said, this, the, the power of your agreement is so important. What do we agree with? It, what we agree with tells us how to act on a subconscious level. I, I know right now you might be thinking like, oh, this sounds weird, but just bear with me for a second, okay? If we can be bound in peace to God, then we can also be bound in fear. But here's the thing, perfect love, as the Bible tells us, casts out fear. In other words, in the realm of God, there is no fear. There's fear of the Lord, which is that awe and reverential place where we understand that he is supreme and sovereign and God, right? And that causes us to have a respect and a trepidation and, and like a, a holiness there. But that's not fear. Fear is something completely different. We can be bound to fear. How do we get bound to fear? We make an agreement in our mind, in our thoughts about something. If you've ever entered into business with somebody or, um, you know, if you've done any kind of something with a legal thing, when you sign a legal document, it's binding, right, Cody? It's binding. It doesn't matter if you don't want that to happen. It's on the paper. 
If you've ever adopted a kid, it's on the paper. It doesn't matter if the birth parents come back and say, well, I gave birth to that kid. The court goes, sorry, it's legal. Nothing can be done. In the spirit, those things can happen too. We can break them in the spirit, thankfully, right, in the, in the, the realm where God lives, but we want, these, we want binding to God. We want binding to peace. We want binding to love. That's what we want. Let me tell you to this way. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 18 and 19, he says, whatever you bind on earth is gonna be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And then he takes it a step further. He says, where two or more are in agreement, God the Father will do that thing. That's powerful. But agreement is not simply saying, okay, yeah. Agreement has an application to it, right? So last week in our parents group, we were talking about having a vision for your family. And, we, and, um, and Annette was saying this great profound thing about when you have a vision for your family, it's easier to know how to say yes or no to things, right? When you know where you're going, that gets clear. I was at a conference this weekend and one of the speakers said the same thing. She said, when your yes is clear, your no becomes easy, right? When we know where we're going, let's put it in Proverbs, says uh, when, when there's no vision, people perish. So when we have an agreed upon understanding, things begin to flow and work. If you're married, you have made an agreement to live with that person, right? So when you're driving home or if you've signed a lease, you've made an agreement, that's your home. So when you're driving home, you're not deciding in that moment, which home am I going to go to? It's like automatic, I'm going home because you made an agreement there. Are you guys tracking with me? So here's where I felt like the Lord was challenging me in this and, and for all of us. And it's this understanding that what are we agreeing with? What thoughts are we agreeing with? What's, what habits are we agreeing with that are less than the calling that we're called to walk in? Okay, so it would be like this. I might have an agreement to stress in my life. Grant would probably say that's true. So here's what that looks like. If I believe that stress is a natural response, which, okay, some of this is true scientifically, so just go with me for a second, okay? If I believe that stress is a natural response to chaos in life, then guess what I'm going to have every time there's chaos in my life? Stress. Because I think that's normal, right? So when my home, you know, especially when my kids were really little, they're all, you know, I got a bunch of them, and they're all really close together in age. So there would be times where I would feel so stressed, and I couldn't even pinpoint why I was feeling stressed. It's just the chaos of trying to keep them all alive and those kinds of things. And it's because I thought that was normal. That was a normal feeling. So one day, I was telling the Lord, I feel so frustrated that I'm like kind of short with the kids. I need your help. And this is what God said to me. He said, you being short with your kids is not really the sin I'm concerned about. It's in the moment, the sin I'm concerned about is that in the moment you don't see the grace I've made available to you. He said, that's the problem, not what the byproduct is. The problem is I've given you grace to manage this mess, but you're choosing not to take it. You're choosing to let it go past that point and let the chaos lead you to behavior that's not right. So here's what I had to do. I had to decide I'm not going to agree with that thought that that's a natural byproduct. Now I come out of agreement with that thought and I come into agreement with the thought that says, Lord, you are here right now and there is a way that I can walk through this difficult thing with peace, love, grace, because that's what the word says. So I come into agreement with that and then when I show up to that chaotic situation, that's my default mode. Same scenario different agreement. If you make an agreement with your spouse, we're not going to go to bed when we're angry. We're going to talk about marriage in a couple weeks. That's going to be real fun. But, you know, we've had seasons in our life where we've said, okay, we're not going to go to bed when we're angry. We're not going to let the sun go down on our anger. And you know what happens? If the lights go out before we're done talking about it, guess who falls asleep? It's not me. 
But do you know what I'm saying? We can have an agreement, this is how it's going to be, but if we try to go around that agreement and we turn the lights off, right? And so I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, turn the light on. And Grant will have to wake up to turn the light on so we can finish talking about whatever very minor thing we're talking about because we never fight, right? Because we're totally hyper-spiritual people. That's right. Sometimes you can't take the passion out of the person, right? But do you see what I'm saying? So when we make an agreement, this is how we want to treat each other, then there causes like, like an after effect from that agreement where we have to say, I got to hold up to what we decided. So this is what Paul is saying. Walk in a manner of the agreement you made with the Lord. I said, Jesus, you are my savior. And that mandates some things in my life, right? So one of my challenges to you today is to start asking the Lord, what am I agreeing with that doesn't support walking in a manner worthy of my calling? I may be thinking that it's okay to watch some of this stuff on TV, but I may not be realizing how it's affecting me. And so I need to take that agreement to the Lord and say, God, I don't want to believe this anymore. I want to understand how to partner with you. you guys tracking with me? All right, so I want to jump down a little bit farther. <clears throat> Verse 5, he says, For the Lord is one, and so are we. Oh, so good. He's just, he's just affirming that whole theme about the connection that we have, the oneness that we have. We're located in Christ. And he says, there's more to it than that, but that's all we're going to share for today. He says, for we share in one faith, one baptism, one father. And then he says this. This is the second time he says this in Ephesians, so catch this. Verse 6, and he is the perfect father. Here we have it again. Who leads us all and works through us and lives in all of us. It's so good. If you need understanding about the Father heart of God, catch last week's message. And then we're going to skip over a huge portion of scripture because we've talked about the fivefold ministry extensively. If you want to catch that on our podcast, I can tell you what episodes they are. So pick it up in verse 17. Okay, so then he says, so with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say, oh, here we go, Lord. You should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Okay, here's what he's saying. The people who don't know God can't represent God to you seems easy, right? This is not to say that we don't spend time with people who don't know God. It says when we spend time with people who don't know God, we understand we are the influencing party in that conversation, right? That you represent the maker of all things. This is his world. We're living in it, right? And so when we come to somebody who doesn't understand the things of the kingdom, then we don't say, teach me everything there is to know about life. There's things you might be able to learn from them, skill sets and whatnot, but in general, they can't point you to Jesus. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. This comes into play really hard if you're on Facebook or social media. There's some great people out there to follow on social media who don't know Jesus. And so you have to just be thinking about it. What am I coming into agreement with? Okay? And then he goes on and he says this, verse 19. He says, because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. And so I mentioned this earlier, and I, I want to say something about this, and I'm going to keep it as um, G-rated as I can. In our day and age, which we all know this, sexual obsession has become the theme. But the Lord has consistently been telling me for about six or seven years now, he says, what breaks my heart is that the sexual part of a being is one part of the whole. But what the world is telling us right now is that that is the whole. In other words, what they're trying to say, and this ties back to evolution, okay? And I, I ranted on this the other day, so sorry if you heard me um, already about this. But I genuinely believe that the, the theory of evolution that we were, like, evolved from primal animals, that it tells us that we are only primal people, and so we're subject to our desires. 
But that's not true at all. We are spiritual beings. We are made in the image of God, and our desires are subject to our will, which is the will of God. Do you see the difference in that? So when you have a, a lust or a temptation, you actually have the power to shut that down. You genuinely do. You are made in the image of God. He is the most pure and holy thing there is, person there is, right? And so what we're looking at is a culture that is, is living this out, this verse 19. Their spiritual apathy has led them to surrender to all this lewdness in their life. And it has become an obsession. But what we need to do is to walk worthy in a manner of our calling. And here's what that looks like. It doesn't look like shaming everybody who doesn't know better. It looks like showing them how to put that into practice. It looks like saying, listen, you know what? I had a problem with this. I don't anymore, and here's why. I realized I'm made in the image of God. When those temptations would come, I would stop, and I would say, Jesus, you better lay on the floor in front of me so I have to physically step over you to get to that sin, which I'm not gonna do, right? That we look at Jesus and we say, you have to be powerful enough over my temptations. You have to be, why? Because temptation applies to all things. It can apply to being at a buffet where there's like four types of cake, and you know you're only supposed to eat one, and you're trying to decide how many, right? It applies to so many different, all the ladies are looking at me like, you got my number. I get it. When I go into like Great American Cookie Company, I'm like, hold me Jesus, this is not gonna be good, right? Because there's something about that temptation where you're like, I need that in my body like right now. We can go through every temptation. It might be addiction, it might be alcohol, it might be medicines, it, you can name it, right? Whatever vice you turn to, you have power to overcome. You genuinely do, why? Because you're some amazing person? Actually, it's because God is with you and he has dominion over all of these things. So to walk worthy in a manner of our calling is not to say, why do you watch that, that's so stupid. But to say, you know what I've learned in my journey is that when I watch that, here's what happens. You see the difference of those conversations? And so then we, we are able to point people to Jesus and show them, here's what you're missing. That fuels spiritual hunger when the Bible is telling us right here, it's spiritual apathy that leads to these things. You guys tracking with me? We don't talk about this all the time, but here's the reality. The hidden places of your heart is the battleground that you're facing, right? The thoughts that are going in your mind, the things that you're like, well, you know, one more won't hurt. All of that comes back to what we were just sharing about at the beginning of this chapter, that communion with Holy Spirit and of submitting to him. So, you know, I, I like to watch TV. You guys know that. I, like to, I love media. It's like, it's, it speaks to me. And I usually am finding a God story in things. But there'll be time to time where I'll pick a show, and I'm like, this looks really fun. And I'll have that feeling like, I don't know if this is that great for me, but it's fine. I'm a believer, right? If you chase that down, that little conviction is going to go away. So here's what I have to do. I have to say, Lord, you sit next to me and watch the show with me. And I'll, and I'll see how I feel about it. And if I feel really bad, it's probably not a show I should be watching, <laughs> right? But here's the crazy thing about the kingdom. Each of us are gonna have a different one that's bad, okay? The things that I feel convicted about might not be the things you feel convicted about. The things you feel convicted about might not be the things I feel convicted about. So here's where we have to take it to the Lord and say, you lead me, you guide me, and how can I walk in a manner worthy of my calling? And if your calling is in a place where you're in front of people, then it is a stronger thing. You see what I'm saying? All right, I've harped on that enough. So here we go, verse 20. Here's where it gets good. He says, but this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. 
For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. Isn't that good? Let me read it to you again. I want to hear some like amen, some responses, some, you know, this is the Bible. This isn't me writing this. Here we go. It says, but this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. Thank you. We know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. This is so good. I don't know about you, but we're all on this journey where we're like walking on a tightrope over a pit of alligators, right? And we need the Holy Spirit to show us right where we put our feet so that we make it. But that is not a fearful thing. That's actually an amazing thing. I know there's a lot of preachers out there who will tell you, you know, to be afraid of sin, to be afraid of your temptations. I'm going to tell you, don't be afraid of it because Jesus paid for it on the cross. That when he was in the moment of saying it is finished, he was looking at your biggest trial right now and he was like, that's finished. What I'm about to do as my breath goes out of my body in this moment right now, that thing that you are looking at right now, he was speaking prophetically to that even now 2,000 years later. That is the, what's the reality of the cross, right? And so when you're standing in the moment of your greatest temptations, this is where you draw to. You don't look at it and be afraid. You don't look at it and say, I'm such a terrible person because I sinned. You don't look at it as any of that. You look at it and say, I am a child of God. God is on my side. In fact, all of heaven is on my side. In fact, Jesus, the greatest intercessor that ever lived, is now praying for you at the feet of Father God who is in charge of everything. That alone should give you charge to say, I can do this. Some of the greatest challenges of my life, and I had a lot of sexual brokenness in my life. I was abused as a little kid. There was a lot of stuff that, that came into my life because of that. And I remember the day that I had to say, you know what, Lord, I have to decide if, if this part of my life is more important to me than how you say I'm supposed to live. And when I started focusing on how you say I'm supposed to live, then I started diminishing what this was. Do you know? And as I diminish what this was, then it gives you courage and you're like, oh, I can get this totally gone. So now, I can't even explain to you because I would have to tell you one-on-one personally and I probably wouldn't tell you anyway because it's kind of personal. But, you know, I have to say to you, I'd have to tell you the details of the moments where I'm standing there looking face-to-face at some of my greatest temptations and it's gone. Like the temptation is completely gone. Why? Because I am now alive in Christ. I'm a new creation and that work has been completed in me. That's not to say there's not other areas that I'm working that out in because there are, but it's amazing amazing to see what will happen when we submit ourselves to Jesus and his truths and when we make the choice to walk in a manner that's worthy of his calling. All right. So again, we got to guard who we listen to, what we take in. We've been talking about this a couple different sermons so far about you're the byproduct of the five closest people to you the people you spend the most time with, I would include that to the people you listen to the most. So if you're a CNN or Fox News person, if you're a Facebook Live person, if you're a whatever, if you're listening to somebody all the time, they count as one of those five, okay? Your spouse counts as one of the five or your kids, you know, whoever you're talking to the most. So you gotta look at that and say, all right, all these people, are they calling me to walk in a manner worthy or are they making me feel like I need to come in agreement with a lesser version of myself? Here's what you can find here at this church. You can find people who are going to say, let's come into agreement with the best version of yourself. So you blew it yesterday. Well, that's not really who you are. Get up, brush your feet off, try again. Right? That's the gospel. The, the, all right. 
I'm going to land it there because I could get way off track. All right, so first thing, guard who you're listening to, what you're taking in. Second thing, what you've been given mandates a life change. So here's my challenge to you. Read this book, chapter four. We're going to talk a little bit more about it probably next week. I'm not entirely sure yet what God is wanting us to do with the rest of it, but I want you to read it this week, and I want you to do it like David did, where he said in Psalms, he opened his heart to the Lord, and he said, search me and know me, God. See if there's any offensive way in me. That's a hard prayer. That's what I was doing in college when I was like, Where, what's the offensive way? And the Lord kept going the same thing every day for two stinking years, right? It's not an easy prayer, but it's an effective prayer. And I would love for you guys to consider at least praying it and saying, all right, I'm gonna go into this book of Ephesians 4 and I'm gonna ask the Lord, open my eyes to the things that I might be doing that need to go, that don't catch with the, you know, that don't help me walk in a manner worthy of my calling. The last thing I wanna say is a couple months ago, I was feeling really overwhelmed and stressed, and um, Grant has come up with a couple of go-to statements to help me. It's really funny. And the first one is, he says, when was the last time that you ate something? I'm like, what am I, a baby? You know, but it's right, because there are moments that I get really stressed. He's looking at me like he doesn't remember, but it's happened at least five times in this year, so. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit and not you. But like, you know, if I haven't really been eating well and I'm really overwhelmed and he's like, why don't we pause and just eat something and we'll come back to it in a minute. And you know what happens? I'm fine. Anyways, that's not what I was gonna go with with that. But, but, he, but this, one of those times I was feeling really overwhelmed and he didn't say, have you eaten anything? And he said this, he just looked at me really graciously and he said, Rachel, you're doing a really good work and you can't come down. And it wrecked me. Because in Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, when they are building the temple, right, they're building the wall to protect Jerusalem, not the temple. They're building the wall, and it was hard work, and they were working around the clock, day after day after day. And then the scoffers came, and they tried to get Nehemiah to be distracted from what he was called to do. They tried to start getting him to come into agreement with a lesser version of himself, right? Who are you to build the wall? You're just a servant in the king's house, you know? And this is what he said, I'm doing a good work. I don't have time for you. I don't have time to come down. And I remember that moment so profoundly because what the Lord was saying to me through him was, Rachel, focus on what I've called you to do and don't get off that place. In other words, walk in a manner worthy of this calling that you're applying yourself to and don't leave that to go over here. Are you guys tracking with me? And so this is my challenge to you today. Number one, read the book of Ephesians. Number two, ask the Lord, am I agreeing with anything that's not healthy or helpful in my walk in a manner worthy of my calling? And then number three, it's to start speaking over yourself. You are doing a good work. Being a good husband, being a good wife, that's a good work. And your family is depending on you focusing on that. As a parent, that's a good work. And your family is, is, is dependent on you showing up and believing the best by yourself and walking in a manner worthy of being a great mom or dad. Your, your siblings are depending on you. Your coworkers are depending on you. You guys tracking with me? And so that's where I want to end to this morning is just to challenge you guys. You are doing a really good work. Don't get off your wall. Don't get sidetracked. If you read this and you start going, oh my gosh, so much in my life is going to change, then just say, you know what? Praise God because here I am getting to start a new work and I'm not going to come down off of that wall. All right, so I want to pray for you, and um, I'm gonna, I'll, I will stay up here if you guys need prayer, or um, especially if you had any of those words of knowledge that we shared and you want extra prayer, come up here. Makobi will be up here to pray for you for that. Um, all right, so I want to pray. Lord, we just acknowledge you as the king of our heart this morning. I feel like we've done that so many times, but we're doing it again because we honestly can't do it enough, and I, I want to thank you personally for every calling that you've placed on every person in this room.
and that there is a way to walk in that calling that, that is worthy of it. And so I'm asking, Lord, for that, that communion of, of the Holy Spirit, that that would be something that we would guard with everything we have so that we can trust you, Holy Spirit, to guide us, to lead us, to take us into um, being more like Jesus. And I just bless every person here in this room. Lord, we do, we just declare there will, no, there will be no condemnation. There will be no negativity. There will only be the, the, the love of God compelling us forward to more Christ-likeness, which may require change, but I ask that you bless them with the ability to change and to rise up to that. So Lord, we do, we just speak a blessing over everybody. We thank you for what you're doing in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And I wanna thank you guys for being here. And I, I wanna say, um, I genuinely feel like God is doing a new thing here. He's doing um, a fresh thing. And it's really amazing to have all of you in the room to be a part of it. We, we love you, that's it. Have an amazing week.